0: to the Bloke and the Bird Show. For those of you in the U.S., uh, happy Independence Day. Enjoy the holiday. For those of you in the U.K., just a reminder, this is the day that those of us in the colonies get very rowdy.
1: (laughs) Um, And for our northern neighbors, happy belated Canada Day.
0: Yes, the day when the, the Canadians get very rowdy for them.
1: Well, they celebrate all the things that they have to celebrate, which includes universal health care and Ooh. maternity leave.
0: But not Poutine?
1: Oh, uh, Poutine's also on the list. Oh, okay. Because apparently that is awesome.
0: You know, the 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 Canada joke that I got this week. This week. This week. It was a different one than the normal one. Um, about why Canadians are so nice. Okay. Because their geese are so evil.
1: It's true. <laughs> Their geese are evil. They put all of the nasty into the geese, so the people are very nice. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, This is also the day that friends of ours, uh, one of them is still a UK uh, citizen.
0: Even though he's lived in the US for well over, actually it's 30 years now. 30 years. He refuses to get his citizenship just because.
1: And his wife, lovingly reads him the entire Declaration of Independence every 4th of July. And I I do. I I live for the Facebook post (laughs) that says that he has had to sit through it again.
0: (laughs) So, this weekend, and, and we will talk in depth, well, in depth for us about it in a bit, was the British Grand Prix. And once again this year we got a race that left us fairly breathless.
1: It really did. Um, It was a good race. It was an action-packed race. Um, 52 laps of incredible racing, which I'm really thrilled about. What I ended that race asking was how do we get more of that? And that's the question I really, I don't have an answer to. Um, And it's one that, I think we need to have people asking it because the modern tracks don't necessarily give us this kind of racing. Um, there's something uniquely special and it's track based.
0: It is track based, but you also have to because I was thinking about this. Silverstone is one of these tracks that is about as likely to give us to use the British term a mega race as it is to give us a complete snooze fest. And I remind you of 2019. No, it was 2020, because it was pandemic year, when we had the back-to-back races. We had the British Grand Prix, and what did they call the other one? The 50th Anniversary Grand Prix?
1: Something like that. was the like
0: second it. one. The British Grand Prix was fantastic. The race the following week on the same track was dull as dirt.
1: Yeah, but... If you think about on percentages, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on percentages, the number of mega races at Silverstone compared to snooze fests at Silverstone, Mm -hmm. far, you get more mega than you do snooze. And we're talking about the track that Lewis won on three wheels. Yeah. We're talking about on our seats watching this past weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. We're talking about you get a little bit of rain, some changeable conditions, and literally anything can happen. It is something, there is something magical that happens. And in contrast, you think about like Monaco, where you know it's going to be a parade. And yeah. you get fest is <coughs> out percentages mega racing. Mm-hmm. So... And you know, I, I throw in Paul. Work because you just have to. Always a snooze fest.
2: But except last that was one really year.
1: Good. Except year that was one good. year.
2: Yeah.
1: Silverstone, more often than not, MAGA.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but before we dig into the race, there has been some stuff going on before then, and we won't talk about Montreal. Um, it was. It was Montreal was a decent race. Um, But you weren't around for it, so we didn't record a show. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the stuff that has occurred in the last week.
1: So apparently, somebody has thrown a microphone in front of people that shouldn't have.
0: Well, even before that. So really, everything started... Actually, it's been more than a week because Yuri Vips, well, it was last month. So it, I think it was two weeks ago.
1: Okay, last month was four days ago. I know,
0: that's true. So, <laughs> I, But but I think the issue with, with Yuri Vips started just before Montreal. We didn't talk about it, um, but things have picked up there. And, and, and it is a natural starting point to talk about some of the other crap
1: that has occurred
0: that we need to address.
1: Okay, so tell the story.
0: So, in a nutshell, during a live Twitch stream where he was playing video games. And if you're not familiar with who Yuri Vips is, um, he still is a Formula 2 driver. So in the Junior Series and up until this past week was part of the Red Bull Junior program and sponsored by Red Bull and fully supported by Red Bull and believed to be a fairly promising uh, driver in the Red Bull Junior system, which right now, considering the way things look, that that's kind of a rarity. Um, he was doing as drivers tend to do nowadays, a live Twitch stream playing video games. And he was playing like call of duty or something like that. And in frustration used both a racial slur and a homophobic slur. Um, now Fairly quickly after that, folks came to him and said, you know, this this was, he would a passion. This was not, he's not a racist person, but he he did it. We acknowledge it and it was out of line, but you know, probably shouldn't have done it. Well, Red Bull within about a day suspended him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this past week, Red Bull announced while some other stuff was happening, which we'll talk about in a second, announced that they had terminated his contract with them. Now, what has not, and and it's all in in relation to um, this incident. And as they acknowledge, they have a zero tolerance for this type of behavior. They do not support it, do not condone it. Um, They are against it 100%. This is not their values. Um, However, what hasn't, and this is why I said up until this week was a Red Bull driver, but is an F2 driver. He's still racing in F2. The team that he races for, it's not a Red Bull team, but they were getting Red Bull money through Yuri. Mm. He hasn't been fired by the team. Got it. So he's still driving in F2. He's just not driving as part of the Red Bull Junior program.
1: Got it. And part of me wants to send a warning to all of our driver friends who do play video games and particularly stream them on twitch because wasn't it during the height of the pandemic we lost another junior driver for a rage quitting during a
0: oh no it was a, it was a full on nascar driver
1: oh a full-on nascar driver that rage quit and then lost his drive mm-hmm. yeah so guys people mm-hmm. um Watch your anger levels during video games, especially if you're live streaming them and people know who you are. That's the top tip for today's show.
0: Well, that, that that's that's our first top tip.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. That's our first one, because there's probably more coming this week. So that all then leads into more of what happened this week and a pretty crappy position that Red Bull was put in. And I will freely admit that Red Bull, through absolutely no fault of their own, was was put in a horrible position this week.
1: And that's very rare that it was not their fault.
0: Yeah. So it broke this week, even though apparently this happened almost a year ago, that in a Portuguese language podcast, possibly out of Brazil, um, Nelson Piquet Sr., who also happens to be the father of Max Verstappen's girlfriend, Kelly P.K. Um, he was offering commentary on last year's crash between Max and Lewis at Silverstone. And again, Portuguese language. Nelson used a racist slur. Now, I want to be clear. It was in Portuguese, but it still... Translates. When you read it, when you when you see it, you recognize what the word is, correct, okay. and and what the intent of the word is. We then had about well after this came out, there was a bit of condemnation and the statements and and specifically he used the word targeting lewis and i should be clear about that it wasn't just that he used the word he used the word targeting lewis and you know lewis came out and instantly condemned it and 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 slammed the action and the drivers within moments of this breaking many of the drivers came out many of the teams came out and said you know we stand behind lewis this is not appropriate Lewis in particular, we know, has been subject to a significant amount of abuse. He's been working to fight this in motorsport and in sport in general for the last several years. Um, Joe Guan Yu came out and said, you know, I get it. You know, when my deal was announced, I got a ton of abuse as well. It's not acceptable. And, you know, very quickly to stand out and the drivers that didn't step up And issue statements in the ensuing day or so in the Thursday press conferences kind of opened up their their press conferences with, yeah, we do not agree with this. This is wrong. This is unacceptable. We don't take it. The one team that did not issue a formal statement, and they said they were not going to issue a formal statement, was Red Bull. And this is where I go to, Red Bull was put in a really bad position through absolutely no fault of their own. Because yeah, they do have Max, and they gotta support Max. And Nelson's not connected to the team other than dad of girlfriend of and
1: and uh, my brother's girlfriend's dad's uncle's yeah. brothers. Now, next door neighbor, but
0: but what they did do because the timing happened to have worked that way is Yuri, who was already on suspension, they terminated his contract. And that was Red Bull's position of, see, yeah, we didn't issue a statement, but let's be clear here. We took action to stamp it out when it happened in the organization. And we just, you know, there should be no doubt here as to what our position is, even if we're not going to issue a statement against Nelson. So I'll give Red Bull a pass on that.
1: I'll give him a solid 60%. I'm I'm sorry, yes. Doing it within your organization is an action, and actions are broader than words. However, just because your driver's girlfriend's dad made a statement, you can easily say there is is no place for that in this sport. I don't think that that...
0: But the other thing is, historically, Red Bull has taken a stand. And if you mm -hmm. remember, this this time last year, after that clash, and all of... There was a significant amount of hateful, racist comments that were hurled at Lewis after that crash, and Red Bull was the first, if not the second team after Mercedes to stand up and go, whoa, Mm -hmm. yes, we're upset at Lewis, no, there's no place for the racist comments. And that, that gives Red Bull a little bit of leeway in my eyes here, because... They have been very quick to step up here. This was a position that they were caught in a rock between a hard place. Max also came out and in his press conference, we knew this was going to be a thing, of that, that Max was going to get questioned. And Max came out and said, look, I don't think he's a racist. I've spent a lot of time with him. I know him fairly well, but his comments were wrong.
1: So here's the thing. I hear what you're saying. They've historically done or said Mm -hmm. the right thing. However, and this is my position on it, is that's great until it's hard. And yes, you're right. They were put in a bad position. It's a tough position. But I don't think that if you are truly true to your values and you're going to stand up and say wrong is wrong and right is right, that you're not going to turn around and say we have that there is no place for what he said. We are historically against it. We stand with Lewis. We stand with everyone who is fighting racism in our sport. I think you say that. I think you say that in your out loud voice. I think there's silence on it, even with the, well, we're getting rid of Yuri Ips. Um, I think there's silence on it is the, we can say the right things up until the point that it's hard. And that's the problem. And I think that that's where Lewis really is very, very right in the battle he faces, is there he is. He is standing there and is like, you guys all say the right things, but when push comes to shove and you've got to make a choice and say, I got to stand on the hard side of this. I've got to say, hey, driver, your girlfriend's dad isn't welcome in our hospitality tent. Because well, that's where they should have possibly gone is... We,
0: we, we don't know if, if, if they did that.
1: We don't know. And maybe they handled it privately. But you make... I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. You make the statement. And I think that they would have more to gain and less to lose if they'd really thought it through. Um,
0: I, They danced a fine line and...
1: I would argue that they danced poorly. You're arguing, yeah, give them 60%. But... That's I, my I, that's my opinion. I'm not
0: going to turn around and condemn Red Bull over this. I will say that.
1: Well, there's and, a lot to condemn Red Bull for, so... Yes, <laughs>
0: there, there's plenty to, to not like Red Bull about. This is not something that... that okay, they could have... And I'm not going to disagree. They could have come down stronger on the position around this. But... You can't say that Red Bull supports racism. You can't say any of that stuff. So, and, and that's why I want to give them some some room here because they have taken action and they do take action. And they just didn't issue a statement like everybody else did. And it was notable. glaringly notable.
1: That's, How's that? That's my problem. Okay.
0: And that's fair. Um, now... Formula One, besides banning it, and it took a couple of days before before or, or besides condemning it. They condemned it quickly. Then they took action a few days after that is where I was headed. Um, <laughs> they have revoked Nelson's access, paddock access. Um, I guess he can show up to the track and watch a race, but his paddock access has been revoked. so I can't imagine that he's going to show up and sit in the stands.
1: That would be funny, but yeah, yeah. I doubt
0: um, Nelson. It and, and unfortunately, the PK family did not help the situation. Now Kelly was silent. We haven't heard anything from her, but Nelson's brother was the first one <clears throat> to make any kind of a statement on this, and did not apologize, did not condemn anything that was said. Just explained it away as, well, you know, our, our, our grandmother used to call us this, and nobody cared. That was where it started. Nelson's apology, and he did issue an apology, it took about three days, maybe four days, but it took several days for Nelson to issue an apology. And he did apologize. He did say that he meant no ill will, and and but what he stated is that in the Portuguese language and in Brazilian culture use of this word is not considered offensive and it is according to him it is commonly used to refer to males or men in general. He then went on to say that in hindsight the use of that word to describe Lewis was poorly considered. And I can except some of it but I still go back to the to the whole thing of there was no reason to do it in the, if that's why it happened and it could be there was still no reason to do it and it needs to be removed from the vernacular cultural or not there was no reason to use that type of a word as a pronoun to refer to a person.
1: So this is the point where I have 92 things that are trying to hit my, from my brain to my mouth at the same time. <laughs> and most of them want to, uh, express themselves in a giant scream. Um, here's the thing, <clears throat> and I can only sum it up in one way. If we care about each other in, as part of the population, if we are trying to work together to have an inclusive environment, we must, must be willing and cognizant to changing language even if it's culturally accepted if it's the old way of thinking the old guard or that's the way my grandparents talked that's part of standing up and saying we are going to change this Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because that was not inclusive and that is not where we want our society to be And that's my issue with the, oh, it's slang in this culture or it's acceptable for that group of people to say something or and not this group of people. The reality is there are words that once were common, were published in critically acclaimed books that our children read as part of their reading program growing up. That are no longer acceptable in common language. Mm -hmm. And we have to admit that well and change. It
0: Yes. And, And and I agree with that. Where the challenge comes from a global for a global spanning entity like F1 is how you deal with the minefield of acceptable and normal in one country is very much offensive in the other and and how you how you a educate and b thread that needle around the actions and what and and i say this having been through you know uh, my share of diversity and inclusivity trainings and knowing that there's very few of them that are really enjoyable experiences to go through. <laughs> as important as the message is, they're not fun. But, and and again, going back to the fact that you've got Formula One, which is global spanning, with so many different cultures at play and so many points of view at play, that I, I still think it's worth challenging Formula One and the FIA. I think actually both of them need to do that of coming up with some sort of a proactive education program for current and former drivers and team personnel to participate. And it may be a voluntary thing because I don't know if, you know, once you're out of the sport, you're out of the sport as much as, yeah, you may still be a media figure and a media personality. But to stand up and say, we've got these programs to help these people and, and to help them navigate it. So that way, they can't turn around and go, "Well, we didn't know. Well, you didn't know because it was your choice not to participate in the resources that we gave you to avoid these minefields." Because they can't control these people.
1: Well, and I have to, I have to agree to a point um, that there are any time that you span languages you have opened yourself up to an even broader minefield. You're mm-hmm. no longer dealing with just societal norms within a common language. You're now adding translation norms mm-hmm. um, and societal norms uh, across it. Um, I'm reminded a lot, and I know it's going to sound left field, but follow me for a second. I'm reminded a lot of back when I was in college, and we talked about a lot of marketing errors Um Because Mm -hmm. as marketing companies, as companies have marketed their brands internationally, you wind up with some really poor translations of things because just the way words get translated have issues.
0: You do, but where those companies have an advantage over Formula One in in this scenario.
1: They can control that.
0: Well, it's not just a matter of that they can control it. They're specifically targeting audiences in specific places at specific times. So in those scenarios, especially in today's modern world, for companies to make those mistakes is truly inexcusable. Because it is a directed and targeted message to a specific environment, as opposed to Formula One, which is going out across the globe simultaneously.
1: Exactly. And the, the the parallel to that is to say, oh, well, this was meant for a Portuguese audience in mm-hmm. por- Portuguese language. And somebody that's in England has now translated it and shared it with the English audience with a different set of societal norms that honestly, 60 years ago, England would have never even heard of it because it would have never left Portu- uh, Brazil. However, we have to admit that we are a global company, a global society. We have to work within the the greater norms, which does mean that we work at tailoring all of our language to be inclusive regardless mm-hmm. of your audience, regardless of the the country that you're speaking to at this moment. If you're not using inclusive language, there whether it is culturally acceptable or not, it's in a, it's not acceptable globally. And that's the reality.
0: Yeah. There, there's other cultural nuances. And, and you know, I, I look at Saudi Arabia as a perfect example of a cultural minefield. Oh, yeah. No matter which side of it you're on, it is a cultural minefield. And, yeah, I don't know how Formula One goes and bridges that gap. Or anybody who is global, who is reaching a global audience live.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's one of the things why people, people, us particularly, are disappointed about the entry into Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. into Qatar, um, into Bahrain, equally. Because you're giving them a voice. Well, you're giving that a voice. But additionally, you know, I I I listen to the arguments. You're you're also trying to leverage the power of Formula One to to change in terms power of sport, power of sport uh, to change. And okay, so let's, let's we could argue that, but I think that we also are challenging the power of sport to be better. Mm-hmm. To to stand at a little bit higher standard because you are global, because you are front and center, and you're saying all the things so globally, and saying this is where we stand. I mean, we cheered and praised Formula One for pulling out of Russia, mm-hmm. because we all agreed, at least on this side of the <laughs> the controversy, we all agreed that was the right answer. We'll get there. But... When they like, oh well, we don't all agree that we should be there, but the check's really big. Then we yeah. we're disappointed that, in lack of a better way of saying it, our heroes are not standing up to that higher standard.
0: So I, I did want to call out some of the other fallout that has occurred. Like I mentioned, Formula One has suspended paddock act has removed paddock access uh, for Nelson. Um, I don't think they've done it for the rest of the family, but Nelson has, has lost his, his paddock access. Um, even though he was not a British driver, the British Racing Dri- yeah the British Racing Drivers' Club, the BRDC, which owns and operates Silverstone. Um, and as a requirement, you have to be British mm-hmm. to be a member of the BRDC. Um, however, Nelson was an honorary member of the BRDC. Um the BRDC board of directors has suspended his uh honorary membership with immediate effect following the required quote 7-day notice period. Oh wow. Yes. Um specifically uh as they described it um, in view of BRDC's zero tolerance policy towards any act involving or suggesting racism, the BRDC board has concluded that Mr. PK Sr.'s use of race, racially offensive language to describe a fellow BRDC member and seven time world champion is unacceptable and represents conduct that is wholly inappropriate for an honorary member of the BRDC, notwithstanding re- his subsequent apology. Because they issued this after he apologized.
1: Wow. Yeah. Good job.
0: So decisive there. Unfortunately, that wasn't all that Formula One had to back away from this week.
1: Oh, really? Do tell. as,
0: As much as I want to start moving away from this story, and I thought when I stumbled across this article, I would be moving away from this story. When I started reading the article, I'm like, huh. I probably want to hear the audio to this because I want to get a little more context as to what happened and what was going on. So this week, Formula One issued um, another statement distancing themselves from the comments of Bernie Eccleston.
1: So Bernie gets involved in this? So what happened? And...
0: The statement that they had issued was around comments that Bernie made defending Vladimir Putin.
1: Okay, and I'm like, How is that connected?
0: And I'm trying to figure out what's, but I'm I'm listening to this. I'm like, Well, what the hell was Bernie doing? Why was anybody talking to Bernie about Vladimir Putin? And I'm trying to draw this connection and understand why anybody went to the cave troll again. And try and track this down and understand it. So it all ties back to an interview that Bernie was giving to Good Morning Britain on ITV. That I'm assuming originally he was pulled in to talk about the whole thing with Nelson P K. and those comments. So I went to go and listen to the interviews. about a 12-minute interview of which the first minute or so is... Not Bernie. It's the commentators talking about the the turmoil and, and the controversy over Nelson's comments. And Bernie is brought in to talk because Bernie knows Nelson. I mean, Bernie's been involved in the sport for years, decades. 40. Yeah. 40 years. 40 plus, 40 40 plus years.
1: And he lives in Brazil. Yep. And he's, he's friends, friends with, with Nelson. So, and and Bernie has start, never turned down an interview in well, his
0: life. There's that too. Well, actually, I don't know if that's really true. If Bernie wants to get stuff off of his chest, and and Bernie will defend his friends, um, he he will, he will take an interview. So he, the interview starts with Bernie talking a lot about you know. This is how Nelson grew up. And, you know, the cultural, the same cultural defense that the PK family was initially using. Um, and any the interviewers turn to, you know, Lewis says that this isn't good enough. And what do you think? And Bernie's already come out after Lewis over. he Bernie, if you recall, what was it last year or the year before? Actually, it was two years ago when Lewis p- was pushing harder on his campaign for diversity and equity. And Bernie came out and said that black people are more racist than white people. And Formula One said, whoa, no, 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 no. Those comments have no business in Formula One or society as a whole. They're exact <laughs> words. So they the, the commentators have pivoted to Lewis's reaction that he doesn't think that um, Nelson's apology was enough. And they asked Bernie, Bernie's thoughts on this. So instead of me trying to explain and capture what went from here, let's go to Bernie's own words.
1: Plus, you don't want to ever repeat them. Well, they're, they're,
0: I, I I could not do it justice if I tried to explain this. So let, let's let's go to Bernie.
3: Not not just a sport, any more than any sport. I mean. A lot of things worse happens in football, directly in front of cameras. And um, I don't know what you can do about stopping people saying something that at the time would appear to be appropriate to them and may not be in reality. You can't start making rules of what people can say and can't say. And I don't know what sort of reaction he is expecting condemn it though, Bernie, you are a voice of, of authority within the sport, albeit you're former uh, a boss of, of Formula One, so you can come out and say this just has no place in our sport. So if you were doing it, ask, somebody asked you what would you do? Tell me what you would do. Well, I mean, my opinion on this, Bernie, I've got no credibility in the world of Formula One. I'm just a journalist asking you a question. You're, you're the man that created this sport to become what it is to, today. So your opinion is far more relevant and far more important than mine. Well, I haven't got an opinion. Okay. okay.
0: So <laughs> I want to be actually before I even get to let me get to my immediate reaction when I heard that. So if you watch John Oliver
1: mm-hmm.
0: and He plays some clip of some figure or somebody stating something that is so utterly clueless and amazingly stupid that he utters out at the top of his lungs, holy, and I'll leave it right there. (laughs) That was my reaction. And I want to remind you, all of the articles, everything that drew me to go find this interview had nothing to do with PK. Right. Nothing at all to do with this. And that's what it started with.
1: Yeah. So, picking that apart for just a half a second. I don't want to lose a very important piece of the puzzle here. Bernie was asked to be interviewed Mm -hmm. regarding Nelson's statement. Mm Mm-hmm. Of which, at about the four-minute mark of this interview, that is 12 minutes long,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: he says, I have no opinion.
0: He says, I have no opinion, when asked outright to condemn the remarks.
1: Exactly.
0: First, he tries to turn it around and go, well, if you were put in my shoes, what would you say? And the journalist rightly said, but I have no standing here. My opinion doesn't matter.
1: But, okay, so if that was not bad enough, Bernie didn't stop, did he? Well, possibly
0: the ITV journalist, smelling blood in the water, decided to pivot from there.
2: Well, someone that you have had strong opinions on is... Vladimir Putin, Uh, you said, I think back in 2019, that you'd take a bullet for him. Obviously, the situation with Ukraine means that a lot of comments have been made about Vladimir Putin, um, a lot of concerns about Russian actions in Ukraine, and a lot of things have emerged about his behavior. Um, Do you still regard him as a friend? Do you still stand by that feeling towards him?
3: I'd still take a bullet for him. I'd rather it didn't hurt, but if it does, I'd still take a bullet. Because he's a first class person, and what he's doing is something that he believed was the right thing he was doing for Russia. Unfortunately, uh, he's like a lot of business people, certainly like me, that uh, we make mistakes from time to time. And when you've made the mistake, you have to do the best you can to get out of it. And I think if it had been conducted properly, I mean, the other person in Ukraine, I mean, his profession, I understand, he used to be a comedian. And I think he seems as if he wants to continue that profession, because I think if he'd have thought about things, he would have definitely made the big enough effort to speak to Mr. Putin who is a sensible person and would have listened to him and could have probably done something about it. Bernie, what what we have is is the actions of Vladimir Putin and and the war that he started in Ukraine has led to the death of thousands of innocent Ukrainians, the death of a lot of Russian servicemen as well. You can't justify that, surely. Well, I don't, it, it wasn't intentional. I mean. Look at the times America has moved into different countries which has nothing to do with America. I mean, actually in America, it's their business. They like wars because they uh, sell a lot of armament, so it's good for them.
2: So just to understand you clearly, you think that President Zelensky should have done more to avert this war and it could have been avoided by Zelensky's actions not by a change in Putin's actions?
3: Absolutely.
2: I don't know what Because what we see, viewing it and reporting on it and covering it, what we see is one country invading another.
3: One country invaded another. That's very, very clever to be able to work that out. Because I suppose that's exactly what happened. But it wasn't intentional to be a war. And I'm quite sure Ukraine if they would wanted to get out of it properly could have done.
0: Now, I want to be clear for starters. That's not all of the interview. The train wreck continues.
1: You will put the link in the show notes, correct? Should anybody want to sit through the 12 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Before we rant on Bad Hair Bernie, because I have a feeling we're going to, (laughs) I want to give a shout out to the professional (laughs) interviewers who did not suddenly go, what the actual hell are
0: you doing? Right. So what we don't know, and and, and this was up on, <gasps> we, we did not see it live, obviously, because we don't have direct access. So I was watching it off of YouTube that somebody put up the recording. We don't know what was going on in that studio. For all we know, everybody in that studio was trying to keep their jaw off the floor because holy crap.
1: Well, you could hear it. You yeah. can hear it in the interviewers going. Go. So so if I understand this. Exactly. But uh, I, I gotta give them props. Uh, I got to give them props for not going, You've got to be kidding me. Um so you know, there is nothing quite like a good British journalist and those two get my thumbs up two thumbs up. Um okay. In the course of a f- several minutes, I heard Bernie support Nelson's racist comment, condemn an well, invaded. He, he didn't support it. He said he had no opinion when he was asked to condemn it. Yeah, well, a <laughs> refusal to condemn equates God. a support in my world. <sighs> he he sympathized with an invading nation.
0: He said he'd take a bullet for Vladimir Putin as long as it didn't hurt.
1: <laughs> well, there's that. Oh, he said oh. that the invaded nation should have done more to prevent being invaded. And
0: um, that, and, and that even though there was an invasion, the the war that was a result of the invasion <laughs> was unintentional. Oh god.
1: And that the leader of the invaded nation should probably have stuck to his... He didn't mean to do it! (laughs) That was was Putin. He didn't mean to do it. He didn't mean to do it. The leader of the invaded nation should have stuck with his comedy (coughs) career. And somehow I think he was thinking that this was all a joke. Well, that's been a
0: common piece of Russian propaganda. They've pulled that out multiple times.
1: And let's see there was the not-so-subtle-but-deftly-avoided dig at the U.S. Um, It wasn't
0: avoided at all. What are you talking about?
1: the interviewers deftly avoided it, but there was a not-so-subtle dig at the U.S. Apparently, we're a warmongering uh, corporation that likes to sell armament, uh, just in case we wanted to celebrate a little Independence Day.
0: But, But let's also remember that same supposed warmongering corporation that likes to sell armament was one that he was desperately trying to make money off of
1: well yeah because we're a corporation with a lot of money um however and later in the interview which i know because at some point you do just have to stop he said that there were two more bullets that i think are important here one that the right person we don't know who the right person was in bernie's mind but the right person did not go to talk to putin to get him to not invade despite all of the people that went to go talk to him to say please don't do this this is a dumb idea um and apparently bernie not to leave anybody out said that when the uk did brexit um and left the eu which he referred to as europe because he's really connected uh with current events he said that the right person did not negotiate that exit either, and that's why the UK is in such the issues that they're in. So pretty much there was nothing that Bernie came down on the side of that I can possibly agree with.
0: Well, Formula One issued to statement, and this is one of those times where I really wish that I could have been sitting in the office of F1's PR person as these comments came over because that reaction had to have been awesome.
1: Whoever wrote the the statements is not paid enough, by the way.
0: Well, whoever
1: with, has to like distance themselves from Bernie as their full-time job, because apparently that's a job of F1, they're not paid enough.
0: Well, what they said, what Formula One released in their statement was, the comments made by Bernie Eccleston are his personal views and are in very stark contrast to position of the modern values of the sport.
1: Which I have to give them props because that last sentence, the modern values of the sport, is the extra twist of the knife into, into Bernie. Because it is it is drawing that line that he is old world. And well, they are not. Yeah. that is. But, that but was, I, don't that think was it's,
0: I But I don't think it's nearly as good as their 2020 statement. Remember, their 2020 statement is the time when they said, at a time when unity is needed to tackle racism and inequality, we completely disagree with Bernie Eccleston's comments that have no place in Formula One or society. I mean, now they've just said he's a dinosaur. Last time they said he's completely out of whack with the rest of society. So, I, I think they might have stepped back a little bit on the on the harshness here. I,
1: I, I see. I'm not seeing. I see those two statements as being inter- yeah, Complementary of each complimentary, other. That they are intertwined. We uh. first say they have no place in the sport or society. And now we are saying that it is an extinct dinosaur relic of ye olde years. I mean, those are complementary statements. But yeah, wow. You know, I thought at one point Bernie had hit the epitome of bad statements when he called women appliances. No, he's been getting worse ever since. He he has truly become that joke that we all have of you have, you know, we think about Thanksgiving and you have to invite <clears throat> your racist um horrible uncle to the table and everybody's just counting down the minutes until there's a fight because he's going to say something stupid. That is what Bernie has become. He is the old man with no filter anymore and no reason to have one. Yeah. And he no longer represents... The ideals of no longer. No longer. How about never ever? Well, okay. Um, <laughs> he does not represent the ideals of modern sport. Period. The end. Complete sentence. I would ask. I would beg that people allow him to fade away into obscurity.
0: Stop talking to the cave troll.
1: There is no reason to put a microphone in front of that man <sighs> because at this point. His relevancy is zero, and all he does is draw, draw drum up controversy where there should be none.
0: All right. So after all of that, we need a unicorn chaser.
1: Yes. We always need a good unicorn chaser.
0: Amazingly, I have a unicorn chaser that's still on the topic of diversity and, equal- and equality. Shockingly.
1: And in Formula One?
0: And in Formula One. Now, i the one piece of criticism I have, I will launch right in advance. Um, and that's that, Alpine, the name you chose is horrible.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So, Alpine announced the Race Her program. It is R-A-C in parentheses H-E-R. And it is specifically intended to increase the participation and open up more opportunities for women within the Alpine organization. Okay. And as I read it, my first thought was, yeah, okay, whatever. And, And I'm digging into it and I'm like, are you sure about this? And then it was, oh, actually this makes a lot of sense.
1: What are they doing? So
0: what they are looking to do for starters is they're aiming to have 30% of its workforce female within the next five years, which is up from the current 12% um, this year. A key component of the initiative is to also to try and help guide the next female F1 driver into Grand Prix racing. As part of Alpine's backing for the program, part of the push will include a ramped-up effort to guide female talent to an F1 seat, which includes proper scientific study to explore the reality of alleged hurdles that some suggest have stopped women making it all the way to the top in recent years. Now, when I read this, I'm like, they're going to do scientific studies. Well, that's kind of stupid. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're doing the scientific studies to debunk the myths. I can get behind that. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I wonder if this is a similar approach um, that Lewis Hamilton's, uh, uh, initiatives, mission 44, where he went back and looked at, um, institutional racism that's prevented, um, uh, people of color rising up within the sport and realizing that, um, in the engine, for example, in the engineering mm-hmm. programs, F1 traditionally hires from one of like three schools, which has a disparity, all of them have yeah. diversity problems and by ignoring some other schools which may have equally as great programs they are institutionalizing that narrow diverse field that's some i mean that was a piece of that study that was eye opening to me you you kind of Well think, it's
0: it's taking a foundational look at why things are going the way they are
1: and it's not just looking at today. We only have X number of people of color mm-hmm. or X number of women in the sport. How do we how do we solicit more of those people? It's looking at how did you get to this point? And if you're only hiring, you know, if you if that existed, if you're only hiring from the all white, all male engineering programs, well, die! You have an all white, all well, male it, it's, engineering team.
0: It's figuring out what you need to do to change. The, the situation other than just going we're going to hire more people right and and I can get behind that I, th- I think the name is stupid
1: well but yeah, okay it's not the best name in the entire world but I think it plays in a space where there's a lot of naming things like herstory and other things yeah. where we've used her I
0: think it's un- and, and I'm not a fan of that either I think it's unnecessarily gimmicky I I support the initiative, I support the direction, but the the name I think is gimmicky from a PR perspective, and 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 that's what I have a problem with is it's marketing fluff.
1: Would you stop with the marketing fluff thing? It's marketing fluff. <laughs> stop with that.
0: <laughs> but you know, in light of all of the the crap that has gone on this week for the Endstone team. Mm-hmm. As many in Formula One belovedly referred to Alpine, um, for for the Endstone team to take this type of action, I think it's huge, and I think it's notable, and it's worth calling out, and worth calling out even more this week than in other weeks.
1: I think it's a I think it's a good deal, and I think honestly, if this program and this concept in the in tandem. In cooperation or even just in lockstep with the Mission 44 programs, um, if they start working together, I think we will see a different face of Formula One and Formula One's makeup will start to look different in the next five to 10 years. And to me, that only means good things for the sport.
0: So moving on to other stuff away from all of that. So there was news and, and Going to try and move through this kind of quick because we took a lot longer than I thought we were going to and all the other
1: stuff. Uh, See, also, that's (laughs) what happens when you start mentioning bad hair burning. Yeah, I know.
0: Um, In Montreal, there was another meeting of the Technical Advisory Committee to talk about the the porpoising regulation, the anti-porpoising regulations, and the bouncing, and all of those various issues. And apparently, it came to light, and we may find out about this Next season and drive to survive, because apparently the cameras were in the room. Oh. But it came to light that some teams may have found a way to skirt the rules with the stiffness of the floors.
1: How do you skirt the rules?
0: Um, well, current regulations stipulate a maximum deflection of two millimeters at the two middle plank holes and no more than two millimeters. At its rearmost hold in a bid to hold in a bid to ensure that the floor is stiff enough. Now, think about that: two millimeters. How big is that?
1: Yeeetty bitty.
0: You see, we we have pulled out the the magic wooden ruler, the old school magic wooden ruler, and two millimeters is a lot less than a quarter of an inch. It's what?
1: It is. less than no it's not even an eighth of an inch i would give it probably three sixteenths
0: so the tolerance that we're talking about is three sixteenths of an inch give or take a few hairs Mm
1: -hmm. now i would suggest that um this would be another time that the u.s is behind the curve and we should be going to the metric system
0: (laughs) i don't know about that anyway um there were claims in the meeting that some teams have managed to get the floors to flex by as much as six millimeters in total in other parts of the floor, which allows them, and this is this is the key part if you want to think about what potential teams we could be talking about, six millimeters in total, which would allow them to run with a higher rake and much closer to the ground for increased performance without the risk of suffering the ill effects of ground strikes. And what team, pray tell, is known and has been known for the last 10 plus years, if not longer, to run a car with a fairly high rake?
1: An energy drink team? Yeah. To tell you the difference. So I said about 3 16ths is the 2 mm-hmm. millimeters. So 6 millimeters <clears throat> is approximately 3 8 so kind of big. That's that's a significant difference.
0: So at this point, nobody's come out with allegations for sure to say that there's some cheating going on around, or some creative exploitation of the rules. Because let's remember, again, they're only measuring the movement in those three spots, not in a broader area.
1: Right. Which, of course, is the Adrian Newey methodology. Mm -hmm. So you would not be surprised that we're pushing the edges of the, you know, the regulations as written, not the spirit of the regulations.
0: So now what they're talking about doing is making a change. And I don't don't know the whole reason why they selected these targets here is they're going to be making a change to the rules that are going to, where they will rigorously enforce the two meter tolerance and stiffness around the floor hold, holes. And it must now be uniform for a radial distance of 15 millimeters outside the periphery with a variance not exceeding 10% either way. Now, why that's a better measure of whether or not we've got six millimeters movement in other parts of the floor, I don't know. But that's what they're thinking may better enforce the floor stiffness, but I don't know. We'll see. So we'll also see if that has an impact on other cars' performance.
1: That's where we'll see it.
0: Now, Christian Horner has also specifically come out and said, you know, this whole bouncing and porpoising thing, um, we are totally against any changes to the rules to deal with it. Of course they are. His feeling is, you know, look. What happens in Formula? And, and to some extent, he's right. And and let's also remember that this is Christian. Think bigger than your own Team Horner.
1: Which he believes only when Red Bull's on the back foot.
0: Yeah. Um, he says that, you know, what happens in Formula One is that teams figure out the trick piece, the trick element, the trick component. And over time, the teams that were on the back foot figure out either counters to that item or they start to, to come up with their own version of the same thing. And that performance starts to normal out and equalize. And there's no reason to change the rules because this is the natural evolution in Formula One. And while he is correct to some extent, let's also remember Formula One's other habit, which is recognizing when somebody has come up with something that gives an advantage and before everybody else can do the same thing, they just ban that thing to begin with.
1: Exactly. So why should the Formula 1 do any different now? Oh, because it's Red Bull.
0: No. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Christian is calling that they not make changes to the aero regulations for 2023 because everybody will just come to them. Now, to that, um, Mercedes has said that um, they're not so vain and so full of themselves that they can't—they they would not be able to acknowledge that maybe they went the wrong way for 23 and to go more in a direction of Red Bull and, and that concept. Now, one I think is kind of interesting that they're leaning towards Red Bull and not Ferrari's concept, because there is a significant difference between the two, mm-hmm. um, one being the bathtub. <laughs> but Red Bull has added a shelf— on, it looks a lot like a shelf on their intake that seems to recreate some of that dip in the side pod hmm. and that effect that, that Ferrari has just a little differently. Uh, but what Mercedes has said is that what we wouldn't do is outright copy what Red Bull did. What we would look at is what Red Bull did and try and determine what they were... Co- trying to accomplish, what challenges that they were trying to address, and why they went the route that they did to understand it so that we could do what made sense for our car.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Which makes total sense. But what they've said is also they're not so proud that they wouldn't abandon this concept and recognize that maybe this was a bridge too far.
1: Well, and, you know, that's reasonable. I mean, that's the way Formula One should work is they should try something and when it, if it does not work, then you pivot and you try something different. Yeah. You don't just keep iterating on the same poor design.
0: So that brings us to the race and the British Grand Prix. And right from the start, this was going to be an eventful race. Yes. And as much as... Yes, we had a significant incident, and I'm not going to start with the incident, but we had a significant incident that led to a red flag within moments after the race starting. We didn't hear a lot about it during the race, but I want to be clear and I want to point out, and I'm going here first because the race was going to get red flagged within moments of the start, even if this incident didn't happen. And the reason for that, and... They knew it was a distinct possibility. We got word of, out on several of the social media channels. The Northamptonshire police issued a statement that they were expecting something to happen and they were ready for it-ish. Um, and that was when the race started, several protesters invaded the track and sat on, it was the, oh, I had it up and I don't have it right this second. They sat on the village straight. Now, where the village straight is, is so you've got the pit start. The first turn is Abbey. That's where the incident was. Then you move into farm, which is turn two. You've got turn three, turn four, and then it's that first straight before Brooklyn's. Okay. They were on the village straight. Which means when this race started and this incident happened and that red flag was thrown, it was probably going to get thrown at about the same point because it had to be thrown just before the cars got to where the protesters were sitting on the track. If there were people on the track, that is an instant red flag. Got it. And that—that's we, we've seen that in the past in Singapore. It was years ago in... Um, Actually, it was at Silverstone. They had other protesters invade the track. Because of the speed that those cars are going, Formula One, and and the low visibility, Formula One wants those cars slowed or stopped and out of the way as quickly as possible when there is something on the track that shouldn't be there. Um, It was seven protesters that were on the track. They had planned on doing this protest. They are anti-oil anti-petroleum, anti-pollution. They're environmental protesters. They planned on doing it. Um, So they got out onto the track. And apparently in one of the clips of the cars, as they were slowing down after the incident, the protesters could be seen sitting on the track. They tried to sit down across the track. So incredibly dangerous. Um, And in a lot of ways... As much as it's never good for a massive accident to occur, it is probably just as lucky that that accident happened and the red flag was thrown quick enough to slow those cars down. Because if we were looking at a fight between the front three cars and then seven folks four turns in sitting across the track, we could have had an even worse incident.
1: Oh, yeah. That could have been awful.
0: Um so there there was going to be a red flag rather quickly no matter what on this. Um,
1: and if you, I mean, I can only be a little philosophical because everybody is okay. Yes. Full stop. Everybody is okay and everybody's been cleared to race next weekend and mm-hmm. all of those things are right. But in a way, you're almost glad that the red flag was for, an accident and an event, which then pulls all of the press and the drama away from those protests. Exactly, they literally did not get the press that they wanted.
0: Yeah, and, and that—that's the thing—is as much as yes, Sky mentioned it once or twice that they had gotten word that protesters were on, had gotten on the track, and that police were responding and had investigated or, or arrested them. That was all the mention. There was no video. There was no replay. And Formula One didn't need to show that video. Right. So in terms of completely defeating the protest, that worked out well. Now, Sebastian Vettel, who is known for being very outspoken this year in particular, but in previous years as well, around environmental issues, he came out and said, you know, look, I sympathize with their message, but this was wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. This was not the way to go and do it. This was not the way to express it. Um, as much as I sympathize with the message and, and the aim of what their movement is, just not to, you know interfering with the race and putting everyone's life in risk.
1: So I just want to call out, because I mean, I totally agree with, with mm-hmm. Sebastian in this one. You can agree with a protester's protest without a con- condoning their method. Um, But we're also talking about an F1 driver that bought Nigel Mansell's car and refitted it to be...
0: To run a sustainable fuel. fuel.
1: I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, talk about putting, A, money where your mouth is, but B, doing something to prove that it is possible to be sustainable.
0: Again, let's go back to what we started saying last year that Sebastian Vettel has really changed his image in my mind. And I've, I've grown a newfound respect
1: for Sebastian. Well, I, I like the post Red Bull Sebastian better than I liked the Red Bull Sebastian.
0: Uh, Ferrari Sebastian was an, ec- I mean, remember angry Seb was, was Ferrari uh, Sebastian. Yeah. So let, let's keep that in mind too.
1: Um, but I made this comment recently and it, it's, it's kind of the, the picture of the difference between Sebastian and Max, because even at Red Bull, Sebastian had some charisma. Yeah. I have a struggle with Max because I feel like he has no charisma. Um, He has no, he has no, I want to follow him quality.
0: Um, well, there was also, if, if- you listen to sebastian even in his red bull years and folks i think a lot of folks took it the wrong way you listen to some of his comments the, the the one aside and and i don't think that that was as big a deal as folks wanted to make it into if you look at some of his comments he's kind of always been that way a lot of folks i think lumped it up with they didn't like the 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 one finger and the number one thing, and they took a lot of those comments urging humility, urging humbleness and thankfulness and gratitude around, you know, we may never see anything like this again. We may never get anything like this again. They took it as some kind... is more of Sebastian being full of himself. But the reality was, it was about as honest they could get. And Mm -hmm. if you listen to Sebastian and you compare the Sebastian we see today to the one who is making those comments, yeah, they make total sense.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think that when Max falls back and Max will fall mm-hmm. back and is in a similar position to where Vettel is today, we will not have this conversation about a post-Red Bull Max like we are having about a post-Red Bull, post-Ferrari. Well,
0: we we won't have that conversation because when Max falls back, Max will leave the sport. Mm. I mean, he's tied up in a contract that he is going to be with with Red Bull for, I think, another five years. So there's that piece. But I think the difference that you'll see is post-success Max You see more frustration come out. Right. And yes, I know we saw a lot of frustration from Seb over at Ferrari when things would fall apart. I do question where that frustration was aimed. Mm. Where Max, I, I don't think that Seb and his frustration that he aired, especially now in hindsight, looking back, was as much. Seb throwing temper tantrum as it was frustration with a team that was making promises and falling apart and that a team that should have been doing better and was making stupid mistakes and, and avoidable having avoidable issues and his frustration over that as opposed to just kicking his toys out of the pram. I could see Max throwing flat out. I mean, and we've already seen it. Max throwing flat-out temper tantrums.
1: Exactly, that's the problem. All right.
0: So now we can talk a little bit about that turn one incident and what happened. And it does, unfortunately, tie now. George Russell has not been named as the cause, but it does tie back to George and George's start, and George freely admits that, in that. They took a gamble, putting him on the hard all the way back in eighth place, knowing that the tires were going to be harder to switch on and were going to be a challenge. He says they they rapidly realized when he was unable to get enough heat into the tires on the formation lap, and certainly as we saw later in the race, that makes total sense now. But on that formation lap, because he was not able to get enough heat in the tires on that lap, his start was even worse and he slid further back. So he slides further back into the grid. He's, he's trying to get himself into some kind of position so that he can safely make it through the start. He gets tapped by Pierre Gasly on the left, which spins him around into Joe Guan Yu and launches Joe Guan Yu's car.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That flips Joe Guan Yu's car upside down onto the halo at high speed and sends it sliding down the track pitches it all the way down the straight across the gravel into the tire wall over the tire wall and into the it hits the catch fence where it slides down in a gap between the catch fence and the tire wall At the same while this is going on in reaction to this, Alex Albin tries to slow down because he sees all the debris and, and the clouds of smoke and everything. He tries to slow down. He gets then rear ended by Sebastian Vettel, which puts him into the wall, nose on, and sends him sliding off into um, Yuki Sonoda and causes damage to Yuki. George Russell stops his car, which was still running at the time, stops his car seeing what had happened and goes running over to try and see if there's anything he can do to help Joe Guanyu. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there wasn't, um, given the nature of this. But the distances involved... So, Craig Slater, who's one of the comments over on Sky Sports, he's not... In their normal coverage, he does commentary for other pieces of Sky's properties. Um, He actually traced the path of the incident from the initial contact with George Russell and Pierre Gasly all the way through to, well, he tries to make it to the fence and he doesn't because the distance is that great. So we have the initial impact on the pit straight, we have, and and he points out the gouges in the the tarmac from that. And then he points out the gouges in the tarmac from Joe Guan Yu's halo, which cut, cut a one centimeter gouge in the pavement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now think about that. That is inches away from his head. And it cuts a one centimeter gouge in the pavement. Which, again, you want to pull out the the handy-dandy wooden ruler Mm -hmm. that puts it where?
1: Well, a centimeter is less than half an inch, but greater than a quarter of an inch. So I'd give it...
0: You're going to notice it. Yeah. You're going to notice it if you drive over it. It's going to be a noticeable bump. And there were several other gouges in the pavement, but that one was specifically for... Joe's halo as he slid upside down over a hundred and fifty meters
1: which translates for those of us in America to 471 feet
0: upside down down the track and through the gravel before hitting that wall and flipping up and over and into the catch fence and there is floating around on reddit Video from one of the the spectators in the stands in front of where that was. It was utterly terrifying when all of a sudden that car flips into the air and goes right into the fence. Thankfully, by the time... It it was so fast that by the time you realized what happened, the car was stopped. Mm. But it was sudden. And there's been popping up on social media, on ESPN and a bunch of other places... Pictures of the car upside down with the sparks flying and all of this stuff. It was an absolutely stunning crash. And if you want to know how terrifying it was, just look at the fact that it was, what, almost 20 minutes after that crash before we got any updates on what was going on other than they're trying to get him out of the car. And the fact that Formula One wasn't comfortable giving us any more updates than that Says a lot.
1: So a couple of key things that really struck me um, was there's a photo that you can see his car sideways and mm-hmm. between wedged between the tire wall and the catch fence. And I know one of the things that Craig Slater said was that they were going to be looking at the safety regulations of how much of a risk that was. Well,
0: let, let let's go a little deeper into that one real quick too. Because not just are they looking into it, But the first person who said, hey, we need to look at this, is one of the directors of the GPDA, George Russell.
1: Exactly. Um, So, and there's a picture of George standing on the tire wall.
0: Because he went running over there.
1: He went running over there to try to figure out how to get the guy out.
0: We saw, when you you see the wreck, you see, and and we were trying to figure out what was going on. We see George pop out of the car because we couldn't see where Joe's car ended up. All we knew was there was a big wreck. We knew it involved George. We didn't know anything else was going on. We see George shoot out of the car and go run into the gravel and we don't see what happens.
1: Mm -hmm. So my first reaction when I saw that was that something was up with George's car and he was Mm -hmm. clearing away from the car.
0: And we see the doctor running after him. And we see somebody
1: (laughs) running after it. What you don't know is, A, you don't know that George has a history of stopping to help Mm -hmm. somebody, which I think is amazing. Um, It makes me kind of love George a little bit more. But he climbs up on top of the Tire fence to see what he can Mm -hmm. do. Now, the reason this picture is particularly stunning to me is Joe's car is perpendicular. His head's on the tire wall side. His tires Mm -hmm. are on the catch fence. There is no room. He can't pop anything to get out or anything. And I had that brief split second moment of thankfully, his car was not on fire. Yeah. Because all I could think about was the last time we couldn't see the video was when it was Roman's crash mm-hmm. and if he was wedged in that space and there was fire involved we wouldn't be having this conversation
0: potentially not
1: um, so there was. there's so many pieces around the space and the ability for him to have been able to get out that I think is very very um, that needs investigation but is very troubling to me
0: now the good news Is Joe completely unharmed? And I believe he's already been cleared to race.
1: Yes, both. So Joe and Alex Albon both were sent to the local hospital.
0: But Albon was the one that went first, which I thought was interesting. So both were brought to the medical facility at the track and... Joe was already at the facility and presumably being checked out because I'm I'm guessing they didn't go, well, wait till we finish with Alex and then we'll get to you. But the decision was made, send Alex like a half hour before the decision was made to send Joe. That was weird. I mean, i not questioning that that they didn't know what they were doing, but the fact that they came to that decision faster for Alex than they did for Joe was I thought weird as the post had just going the hell with it put them both in a helicopter fly them out be done
1: and i got the impression and i could be wrong on the timing was that alex made it back to the medical center before joe did well, and that's, that's what, some of it and and so they they tapped him and go get in the helicopter you're going and it was that joe just didn't get back there to take the same helicopter and you know cuz they were both airlifted over to the mm-hmm. the medical facility they have both been cleared um, both expected to race next week. Apparently, both of them were showered and back in the pits before the race ended. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, the safety well, there, there's level. There's footage
0: of Stefano Domenicali at the end of the race talking to
1: Joe. Right. Um, and I got to say the safety of those cars is utterly phenomenal and you know i i love it british grand prix you cannot have a british grand prix without interviewing jackie stewart you just cannot have that it's it's in the rules and before this all happened there was an interview you know the interview with jackie and jackie doesn't speak to anybody without talking about how far safety has come because Mm -hmm. he was such an integral part of that shift and I just sit there and I look at these crashes and oh, to be able to sit, oh, to be able to sit next to Jackie and elbow him and go, how good does it feel to see a driver walk away from that? Mm -hmm. Because he buried so many. And he's got to, he's got to be like, I
0: helped save these people well that's the thing it it is not just how good good does it feel that a driver walked away from it but that a driver walked away from it and know that you're part of the reason why a driver was able to walk away from such a massive incident oh yeah and this marks i think it's the fourth time now since the introduction of the halo that a driver can credit their life being saved by that halo
1: and you know something? As stupid as we thought it looked, I'm pro Halo now. I'm, I'm well, there. Okay. And even we, the drivers. We supported
0: that- the Halo we, as much as we thought, yeah, we don't really like the way it looked. We weren't one of the ones that said, no, the Halo is not necessary. It's stupid. No. We were the ones that just said, we don't like how it looked. We wish you came up with a better solution, but fine.
1: Yeah. Uh, safety first. Um, but. Even the drivers that were like, we don't think this is necessary. They've all come around. The, every one of them. I mean, you, you need one of these. And go, yeah. you know The the time that the tire hit. The, the halo on top of Lewis when Max drove mm-hmm. across his head. All of those things are important. Um, and the fact that it didn't prevent Roman getting out of his car.
2: Yeah.
1: So, you know, you've got to look at both sides of it. Um, But what a crash.
0: And to be clear, this wasn't the first time that day Mm -hmm. that the halo came into play. Because in the F2 race was another crash um, where, hmm, sounds familiar, car hit the sausage curb, went airborne, and was thrown into a fence. And again, the halo's credited with saving the driver's life.
1: And, you know, we talked a little bit about what happened at Road America when we were there, but seeing that Indy Lights car pop up, go airborne Mm -hmm. and hit the fence, and we were there, not at that corner, not right there and seeing it, but we know how terrifying it is to be kind of that close to it. I cannot imagine how much more terrifying it was to be on the other side of that fence as that car's coming at you
0: now the halo was again huge success because at one point we were watching it and i'm like um i I don't see the halo um Mm -hmm. are are we sure it's still attached to the car um it did stay attached We, we we did confirm that um there is however going to be a look at the halo that is being used by alfa romeo this year the reason for that is over the design of so it's, it's hard to tell. And, and I've been going through a bunch of pictures and I'm not really sure I understand what the difference is myself. Um, but apparently they're using a blade design and I think it has to do with the upright. Um, that, is very, that is the same as what Mercedes has used in the past, but they're not using it this year. And apparently it's something that teams, they get hot and cold on because they, sometimes they go with a thinner design, sometimes they go with a thicker design. They all meet the appropriate deflection tests, but one is more, first of all, the the thicker one, obviously there's more weight to it than the thinner one, which is why there's a motivation, but there's concern about the thinner one digging in on softer surfaces and causing cars to flip and causing potentially other unwanted behavior from a car that's upside down. So... This year, Alfa Romeo is the only one that's running that design. And since we saw the car do what it did, mm-hmm. there's going to be a closer look at the halo design around that. Again, the, the deflection and the, the tension test, it obviously passed. But there's concern about it causing other behavior that they don't want. Got it. So, but everybody's okay. We've moved on. Um, Albin's been released. So, we had a good race. Mm-hmm. Mercedes finding... I mean, when is the last time we talked about Mercedes having a fastest lap?
1: I know. I know. I'm very thrilled. I'm very thrilled.
0: So, I mean, not there, but obviously they found something. And I think it that also means they'll probably be strong in Paul Ricard. Mm-hmm. Another high-speed circuit. So, I, I think there is some potential there. Um... But you, you gotta applaud Carlos Sainz for being able to to stick through so much that that went against him, from losing that start the first time around to the restart, which initially didn't make any sense, to getting that getting that position and holding it, um, and and then Max having his issue, which cemented that piece of it, holding off Lewis, holding off. Um, Charles, even even performing poorly against Charles with a missing end plate. Right. Performing, you know, sticking to Charles, even though Charles was able to pass him initially. um, And coming away with his first ever win. Now, there's been a lot of question about those final pit stops. And, yeah, I think it made sense under that final safety car for Lewis to come in and... For one of the Ferraris to come in, the big question was on the second, mm-hmm. and why didn't they bring Charles in as well? Get him off of those hard tires, which were not going to hold the temperature, we're not going to hold the performance. And Charles was, is upset over the decision. Um, it sounds like there was about eleven seconds that they could have made that call, which kind of amazing actually when you think about it. Of eleven seconds, let's make a call, get the car and have the tires out there, and potentially double stack cars right so according to Ferrari it's actually it was the double stack which caused them to not bring Charles in so what Ferrari said is the reason for it was because well yes they knew Charles had worse tires and they were going to be cold he had track position if they brought the two of them in the offset that they would have experienced from the two cars and the slower pit stop meant they would have lost track position so they felt it was better to let Charles hold on to track position, bring Carlos in, regardless of what Mercedes did. That would assure them the, the, what they thought would be a one-two, not realizing that Lewis would turn around and throw on the softs and potentially allow them to hold station. Mm. So Charles couldn't get the tires switched on. He fell back. Lewis came in and put on softs. Sergio Perez... Coming out of nowhere, seriously, who we out of thought nowhere was 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 done for the race. He throws on the softs. He comes blistering up there too, and Charles was a sitting duck.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But what a race finish!
1: It was. It was an absolute race finish. It was. There was drama at the beginning. There was drama in the middle. There was drama at the end. This is what we watch Formula One for.
0: So. Charles is pushing for, has pushed the team for a deep. Re- Obviously, he has words. <laughs> so rather, and, and I don't necessarily blame him for being upset. I mean, he's sitting on the hardest tires, and the window just opened for everybody to jump onto the softs of the softest tires. Yeah, I could understand being a little ticked off that that he was the sacrificial lamb here.
1: But, he will, he will be okay. He just needs to be a little dramatic first.
0: Yeah. Um, the claim is that he was not getting a, to- a telling off from Mattia Bonotto during a podium ceremony. That Mattia was reassuring him and w- was explaining and-, and that he was not in trouble. And it-, it was not the you better not criticize the team and any of that.
1: Got it. Well, that's a That's the good. word. That's important.
0: By the way, Max Verstappen's performance issues... That appears to have been due to a piece of Pierre Gasly's end plate getting stuck in his floor.
1: Ah, yeah. There's some poetic justice there that it was the B team for Red Bull that took out Max. Yeah,
0: took Max's race out. But overall, great race, great weekend. Um, I'm going to skip a bunch of our other stories just because we've run a lot longer than I thought we would. But I do want to hit on word has come out that Daniel Ricardo has signed a deal with Hulu for a scripted F1 series. He's they are actively looking for writers for a scripted F1. Now, no word on whether or not this will be a drama or a comedy or a dramedy. Or who knows? Maybe it will be an F1 version of The Office, a workplace comedy.
1: That would be that way be. awesome. That could be. Or it could be really bad. Um, I mean,
0: th- there was Netflix had the NASCAR theme show, which was okay.
1: What was that?
0: The crew. Word is it was The Crew. It was
1: <laughs> It was meh. At best. It was okay. At best. It had a couple of really good jokes, and then a show was wrapped around it. Yeah. Um, So, no. Are you going to be submitting a writing sample for? I will not. I'm very sad to hear that.
0: Most of my comedy comes from improv. So, you know, the the, the, the scripted thing is too structured. (laughs) I, I I can't.
1: Second City's not calling you anytime soon either, so there you go.
0: Not yet. And on that note, we'll call it a show.